Welcome back to Law School Revealed. I'm your host, Shay Smock, coming to you once again from the beautiful Bloomington, Indiana at Indiana University's Mauer School of Law. Today is the final episode of the first season of the 1L Experience. Thank you for listening all the way through. It has now been a full year since I interviewed all of my professors. I'm now a 2L. And I know I said at the beginning of this that I wanted to document the change that happens when you're in law school, when you start to think like a lawyer. And I did come to some conclusions, although they are different than I expected. After ruminating on this for a full year, I can confidently tell you the best advice I can give is know who you are before you come to law school and then don't change. decided to call this podcast Lessons on Love and the Law because I learned that when you're in law school, sometimes the hardest person to love is yourself. The official version of how my first year of law school went is something like this. I had amazing professors. I met so many cool people. I loved all of my classes. Uh, I went home frequently. I got to go on lots of vacations. I saw my friends all the time, and it was pretty hard. You know, there were some some tests were really stressful, and I did have to study a lot. But in the end, it was all a good experience. And then I went on to have an amazing summer in both. Boulder at the Tech Lawyer Accelerator program and then on into Chicago for a practice innovations internship. But we're friends, so I can tell you what really happened. As you may imagine, things were far from perfect my first year of law school. In actuality, I cried every Friday like clockwork when I got home, just from sheer exhaustion. Sometimes I cried several times a week. I had my first panic attack. I got more Bs in my first semester than I've gotten my entire life before that. I had no control over losing weight. My eyelashes started to fall out. I kept forgetting things. And I found myself just waking up, doing my work, going to class, coming home, falling asleep, doing my work, going to bed, getting up, just going through the motions and was watching horrified as I was literally fading away into a less confident, smaller shell of who I used to be. I mean, I was Dr. Smock. And now I was back to Miss Smock, nervously awaiting my cold call. I quit the podcast. I was like, who cares what I have to say? I, I don't know anything. I'm, I'm not even good at this. Nobody wants to listen to me. But like I think most law students do, you couldn't tell on the outside. I looked like everything was just fine. Went to school, and I don't know why, because there's so many people there 
going through the exact same thing as you. There were still a lot of good days, and it wasn't all horrible. I was slowly figuring out how to use my time best, and I was sort of muddling through. I wasn't exactly killing it. But I was excited about my future after law school. I mean, it had to be better than this. And then... You lift my heart up when the rest of me is down. I fell in love for the first time. Not ideal timing, but probably it was because law school had left me so raw that I was finally able to or couldn't even control that I fully let someone in. It ended pretty quickly because like anyone who's going to be a great future lawyer, he was a master of omission, and I'm not looking for a serious relationship really meant I'm already in a serious relationship, but I couldn't really even be mad at him. Law school had made me stay in something long after I knew it was wrong for me, so it made sense that he could wind up in something he never intended. Because once you get on the autopilot of law school, everything else kind of falls away. Luckily, all of this heartbreak allowed me to go lean on my friends outside of law school and spend more time with them. And I already had someone in my life who was so confident that none of my waffling had in any way impacted him. He was unshakable, and he was so charismatic that every time I was with him, I had no choice but to just live in the moment and have fun. After a weekend of laughing and having fun in Chicago, I could come back and ride that wave throughout the whole week of law school, and it really made things enjoyable. Law school was a challenge, but it wasn't the problem. I was. I'm happiest when I'm doing what he calls the Shay thing. Just being myself. I don't need to explain or justify it to anybody. Just do my thing. The best advice of my life was when I was in elementary school and I was in trouble. I was trying to explain to my mother if she just understood, if she'd just been in the classroom and seen what I saw and heard what I heard, she would understand that like everyone in the class had also done terrible on the homework, so I am not to blame. And she would hear none of this. She said, I don't care if everyone else in that room got F's, this is unacceptable for you. And I just want you to be the best Shay you can be. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. And as mothers usually are, she was right. And I think that that's what law school or really anything that you perceive to be really difficult can do. You get so wrapped up in it and trying to be perfect and learn everything as quickly as you can that you start to forget the things that you knew when you were a child. Like, all that matters is being happy, and you're the only one who can control your own happiness. I hope that's not too revealing for you, but even though it makes me super uncomfortable putting out all of these personal details, I know that lawyers and law students, although I love you, 
you can be pretty quick to dismiss and throw in the irrelevant pile anything that you disagree with. And you're much more open-minded when someone admits that this is just her personal subjective experience. So I'm just going to put it out there and I hope some good comes out of it. After I had my big realization, I was able to just start being selfish. Think about what I want out of life. Where would I like to live? What do I want to do? What's really important to me? Why am I ever unhappy? And then come to think of it, and I'm looking around the school, why does everyone else seem so unhappy too? So I decided that I would conquer this challenge and figure out what was going on with law students. The beginning of the semester, it was so exciting to be around everyone because people were just, they were excited about the future and talking about things like they had unlimited opportunities. After Christmas break, I came back and it was like a depression had fallen over the entire law school. And that's not uncommon, unfortunately. So why not put this PhD in research and theory to work and look at the 1L experience as an experiment? There's a lot of things written about the pros and cons of going to law school, but once you get here, it's kind of accepted that you're going to be unhappy and overworked while you're here, and the focus changes to telling you how to get good grades while you're here, and good mental health is just viewed as ancillary to that. I could hear my dissertation director in the back of my head. Something problematic was definitely happening here. I had found my gap in the literature, and now it was time to do something. Time to fight the good fight. So I got my research started. I was already full-fledged, complete immersion in Operation Law School. But what I didn't realize were some of the interesting statistics associated with it. As it turns out, although coming in at normal rates of mental health, by the end of their third year, 40% of law students are depressed. Lawyers are the most dissatisfied profession, and it's also the only career track where the people who make the most are less happy than the people who make the least. And lawyers are three to five times more likely to have a substance abuse problem. It's so prevalent that the ABA makes it one of its foundational principles to help people with a substance abuse issue. Services are available for both lawyers and law students, but law students have this added fear of not passing the character and fitness test of the bar exam if they admit to having any sort of a problem. And you might be thinking, well, obviously they're overworked, they don't sleep enough, and it's a lot of stress. But actually, even though lawyers are number one for dissatisfaction and number four for suicide, they aren't even in the top 10 for the most stressful jobs. They're not in the military, they're not firefighters, they're not airline pilots, police officers. Even PR execs, broadcasters, and newspaper reporters are considered to have more stressful jobs. They also don't work the longest hours. They don't even make the top five for longest hours. So what is it? My hypothesis? that this probably has something to do with thinking like a lawyer. What's going on with this law school culture, the pressure cooker effect of it, the competitive grading system, the cold calling that's supposed to embarrass and scare you, the feeling that you shouldn't be able to trust people because they are your competitors. I don't really feel that at IU. I've never felt the competitiveness, but the culture still exists in all of law. 
And we have the same old law school culture, but the future of law is so different. I mean, we're facing automation of a lot of legal jobs, outsourcing them, e-discovery taking the job of what lawyers used to have to spend hours doing, and contract managers being able to do the really repetitive stuff. So one of the things I found was that thinking like a lawyer leads to not only an aversion to change, but also future talk, because it's just purely speculative. But before we get any further, let's just get rid of the elephant in the room right now. Why there was such a depression over the law school starting in early January? I can only assume it's because of grades. Because grades in law school force everyone to a curve. Here at Mauer, it's a B plus, but it can be as low as a B minus at other schools, and that means 50 to 60% of you are going to be forced to have a B plus. And the difference between the top B plus and the bottom A minus could be one point. It could be half a point. It could be no points and come down to attendance. You will never know. But for the most part, everyone's going to get a B. It will likely be the lowest grades of your life. And to compound it, you kind of feel like you lose control over your grades because both you're being graded against other people when you couldn't possibly know what they know, and preparing for class has nothing to do with preparing for a legal exam, which is something you might not really know unless you already knew people who had gone through this system. I didn't know that. And I felt that pressure and being upset, even though I didn't come in trying to get any certain type of a GPA. I don't want to go into big law. I don't think I'm even going to take the bar. And it was still disappointing, though, because I felt like that wasn't me doing my best. Law school's hard, but it's not hard in the way that people would think. It's kind of difficult to even explain to people who aren't in law school because it's not that oh, I have to memorize tons and tons of stuff and then the tests are so hard and sometimes you fail. It's not like that. Compared to graduate school, the reading's actually quite a bit easier and they don't assign as much of it. Some professors will only assign like 20 pages a night, others up to 60 pages, but then you go into class and they want to talk about two sentences in a random part of one case. And it really starts to change the way you think you need to prepare and what you think is important in a case, depending on who the professor is and just what style of teaching they have, what they think they need to teach you. I no wonder my grades were disappointing to me because I really soaked in whatever the professors were saying and thought that, you know, that's what we're supposed to be taking away from this. We would spend days discussing why a certain doctrine that they claimed they were using, they really weren't using, or it was inapplicable today, or a legal fiction that we even use it. Well, here's the legal fiction of law school exams. Had I just never gone to class and read the cases... I would have done much better on the exams because in my mind, those doctrines we'd spent three days tearing apart had no place on an exam because the professor clearly hated them. That is not what we're supposed to be taking away, as it turns out. And luckily, Professor Knievel explained in his class, well, right, they don't do what they say they're doing at all. Ha ha ha. And we all had a chuckle. And then he was like, but of course, you would never write that on an exam. And the light just went off that... Oh, I see. So we're supposed to spend the whole day critiquing the Supreme Court and talking about how they're totally wrong. But when the exam comes, we need to just write down exactly what the test is that the Supreme Court claims they're using and exactly how they used it with no commentary, no matter what we discussed in class. And I thought, oh my God, I can't believe that that's what I was doing wrong. And I'm not sure if lawyers are 
that professors are trying to be tricky or if they're just so far removed from it that they don't even realize they're being tricky. Thank goodness for Professor Knievel because he's the first person who had ever said it in a way that I understood. I mean, I'd had professors before say, oh, like look at previous exams. They're a little bit different, obviously. I'm not going to show you one that's exactly what I'm going to test you on, but... And you need to know, like, minority and majority rulings, but I always assumed that meant not the ones that we'd already discredited. Those must be wrong. Boy, was I off. But I made those mistakes, and now you don't have to. You're welcome. You're welcome. But I think, really, we're responsible for whatever's been assigned to us, and then they'll come and lecture on whatever they don't expect us to get out of the reading. And what we don't get out of it is probably going to be policy considerations, social justice reasons, but those don't always have a place in the exam unless they ask a policy question, which I think I've only had like two policy questions asked and they were never as much as the substantive law was worth. So it is, you focus on very different things in law school and it's not that you have assignments due all the time or that the reading's so hard, it's all of it together. It seems like sometimes they just want to see how much you can do at the exact same time. That's why they call it a pressure cooker, and that's what can be so difficult about law school. There are also a lot of events you have to go to the first year that are required, and you don't get to set your own schedule or pick your professors, so you lose a substantial amount of control over your life. So what's my best advice to you? Do not look at your grades. A lot of the top law schools have gotten rid of them altogether. In any way, studies show that high law school grades are actually negatively correlated with success as a lawyer. Which makes sense, because especially after how many years I've been in higher education, I know firsthand that all any professor is ever really teaching you is theory, which also means how to be a professor. So if you're really great at law school exams, you'd probably be a really great professor. And if you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. Go listen to Sir Ken Robbins' TED Talk on education. He's brilliant. If you haven't listened to him, he's way better than listening to me. Students become obsessed with grades because the culture of law school insists that you must have the best grades to get this dream job. And the dream job is supposed to be big law and a top market starting out at $190,000 a year and eventually making partner. But what that dream job really means is 1,900 billable hours, meaning working usually over 60 hours a week because you can't bill sometimes even half of the hours that you work when you're new. You also have no control over whether or not your firm even has enough billable hours to offer you. What if they didn't have clients? That's your problem then, and you've got to scrape to find them. And many new associates don't have windows. They receive little mentorship because the partners are gone all the time, and they have little to no flexibility in work location or how they can complete their work. Plus, do you really think they value you if they're going to hire you based solely on a GPA? My best advice is don't even bother looking at your grades. No one's going to make you. They don't matter. And you can go afterwards and talk to your professor and look at your exam and look at the feedback without it having your actual grade on it. You can't enjoy learning if you're sitting there stressing about a final exam. It's actually a distraction. You need to be able to go to class soak it in, read leisurely, and while everyone is freaking out, giving themselves stomach aches and crying about their grades, almost nobody's failing. 
it is really hard to fail. If you want to be there, you are not going to fail. So there is no need to get worked up about half a letter grade. This is your education. So let's just all agree that grades are a game and nobody wins at it. People at the bottom feel like a failure. People at the top have this unbearable pressure to maintain their top grades. And everyone in the middle feels really average, which that's not good. You want a bunch of lawyers graduating who feel like they can only averagely handle things? And the grades are kind of meaningless anyway, because imagine if you just loved criminal law, but you were the 45th best paper. All you're going to know is you got a B plus. But the 44 people in front of you, if none of them are ever going to do anything with criminal law, you are actually number one in that class. But it'll never show that. And you're going to walk out of it feeling really bad about yourself and maybe deciding, I'm not going to go into this area after all. We have to quit letting other people evaluations of our work decide for us what we're good at. I didn't even come in with any goal of getting a certain type of grade or having any big law career and being top of my class. I didn't care. And it was also for sure done proving to myself that I was good at school. And it still was really hard. And looking back, the only thing checking my grades out did was lower my self-esteem and make me feel bad. And it won't affect you when you're looking for jobs either because a job that really wants your GPA can get it from the school. And if you tell someone, honestly, I don't know what my grades are, I didn't want to check, they're not going to think you're a slacker. They're going to think of anything, oh, this is a student who values her mental health. The type of job that's going to take you based on one-tenth of a grade point average, you don't want anyway. And the forced curve just creates artificial differentiation between students anyway. When we have our own real and meaningful differences, and they should be celebrated, we are not a number. And we don't all want the same career anyway, and that's a good thing. So we've done away with grades. Don't worry about them. Enjoy learning. You're not in law school if you don't like learning. Go enjoy it. It can be fun, I promise. Take the pressure off of yourself. other reasons that my research has led me to believe might be some of the underlying causes between the high rates of depression and suicide in lawyers and law students. And we can fix them. They are all so fixable. That is the great news. First, thinking like a lawyer. It can make you a great legal mind, but it can also completely destroy your relationships with those around you. And when taken to an extreme, it can lead to you bottling up all of your emotions Live your life like it's a factors test instead of an elements test. When you're attacking a crime that has elements or any adversary, we learn quickly to go after their weakest link and then just tear it apart. Unfortunately, that then becomes our autopilot, always looking for the flaw and then gracing them, if they're a friend, gracing them with the correct answer. And if they're not a friend, just going pretty hard on why they're wrong on all of these points. <sighs> Don't do that. You're exhausting everyone. This is why people hate lawyers. Instead, look at it like a factors test. Look for the factor that is uncontestable. 
no, you have a list of factors, you don't have to prove all of them. There are certain ones that definitely the other side's right and everyone agrees that. Go for those and hang on to how right they are. I know this just from having talked to a lot of different lawyers. They will stop you and to, just to tell you that you're wrong, which sometimes people are just talking. They're just trying to create some sort of a bond with you or make you comfortable if you seem uncomfortable, which you know, some a lot of lawyers can be socially awkward. And when you stop someone mid-sentence who isn't asking you for critical feedback or your opinion of what they're saying, they're just having a conversation, stopping them and telling them that they're wrong is really makes you a hard person to be around. But thinking like a lawyer isn't just about finding the weakest link. It also leads to extreme pessimism. You take everything to its logical worst case scenario. In every other field, Pessimism is a sign of being unsuccessful. But specific to law school, we call pessimism prudence. It's just being prudent, being prepared for that and expecting the very worst to happen. A study on Virginia law students found that pessimists ranked higher when it came to the typical success measures of law journal and GPA. You know what else is really common among pessimists besides being good at law school? Dying an early death. You don't want to be a pessimist. You can be prudent in your legal theory without being a pessimist in the whole rest of your life. So make sure your autopilot doesn't become thinking like a lawyer. You know when people are on autopilot. I can always tell when my mom is because we'll be on the phone and what she says doesn't really make sense. And then at the end of the phone conversation, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let you go because I can tell you're not really listening to me. And she'll be like, okay, take care. <laughs> like she was on a work phone call. And when lawyers get on their autopilot, it's not just uh, my mind somewhere else. It's without even thinking about your feelings or how this could in any way be useful. I am just going to destroy your argument and walk away. That's the quickest way out of this because I've got a million other things going on in my head right now that are, I just got to go do those. Instead of doing that, look for what they're saying that you'd consider uncontestable and tell them all the reasons they're right. It makes us unhappy telling people their flaws all the time and it makes them never want to talk to us again. So unless someone asks you for a critique, they probably don't want it. And it's really not helpful anyway. If all anyone ever said to me were the problems with my podcast and all the things I should be doing differently, I just would have stopped doing it. I would not be trying to do a second season. If you tell people all the things you really, really like, they're gonna do more of those things that you really, really like. And you won't alienate everyone you care about. There's one person I really learned this lesson from over the summer because after hearing all of these different guest speakers and noticing over and over again that when people had law degrees and were speaking, it was substantially less interesting. They just, get caught up in only telling you things that can't be disproven, that it's such a boring conversation. But there's one professor I have that I have always been blown away wondering how does he have all of these connections and maintain them around the world and then even gets jobs for students. He got a job for me. I was like, how does he do this? Because he's a pretty busy guy, Professor Henderson. And then I observed him talking to some of his connections. And he never disagreed with anyone in a conversation. Instead, 
He'd do it in his writing. But when he was in conversation with somebody, he just listened for all the things that he agreed with them about. And then he agreed with them even harder than that person had stated it. And immediately he was able to create a bond with them. And once you've gained their trust that you're not just there to tear them down, he learned so many new things. Things about the practice of law that as a professor, there's no way he could have known. So once people trust you, you can uplift them. And being an uplifter is a very good thing. And it would be great to have more uplifters running around the law school. The next thing about thinking like a lawyer is that you're supposed to apply logic. But logic does not apply to everything. Listen to a law professor try to use backward-looking logic to figure out a Supreme Court decision that definitely didn't follow any sort of logic. I mean, their brains explode. They're so upset by it. We're supposed to pretend that everything is always has to be logical. When really, that, I mean, that's the reason we have courts of equity, because logic doesn't always result in fairness. So things shouldn't always be logical. Every single rule shouldn't be able to be applied across everything. There's so many exceptions at this point that why even bother sometimes? But how you feel has nothing to do with logic. And it might make you feel worse if you try to apply it. Law students start to get trained to conceal anything that wouldn't bring your client out in the most favorable light. But then we get so used to withholding things and bottling them up so they can't be used against us. It's okay to have emotions. You don't always have to be planning for worst case scenario how you look to someone. Omissions and concealments are only going to hurt you in the end. Don't treat yourself like a client. People can forgive almost anything if you just give them the chance to. It's very freeing to stop trying to apply logic to everything, feel your emotion, and do what you can to try and turn a negative into a positive. Think about it, why am I upset? Okay, I'm upset because I didn't get this cold call right. So really I'm upset because I didn't read the professor's mind. Because actually I did know the answer, but the way they asked the question, how could I have possibly known that's what they meant? Because they said it in a weird way and they did it purposely to embarrass me because that was the point. To turn that into a positive instead of a, this is the professor's fault. Maybe the reason you missed that cold call is because studies do show that when you miss something, you will remember it forever. But if you get it right, you're going to almost immediately forget. And maybe it's going to be on the exam, and it's super important, and now you'll always know it. Next, lawyers work on a time schedule. Time crunches usually. Everything's on a deadline. Staying up all night, being there till 2 a.m., these are common stories of new associates at big firms. Law school is no different, prepares us for that. Lack of sleep, anxiety, health problems, not having time to do the things you actually like. Poor diet. I don't know how many days I lived on Dr. Pepper and coffee. Not getting to use any creativity. Substance abuse. Another really common thing that's associated with unhappiness in your career is feeling like you don't have the ability to make a lot of decisions, but you have high job demands. And that is pretty much exactly what a lot of lawyer work is like. Associates often have little voice about their work. They have limited contact with their superiors and almost no client interaction, at least for the first few years of practice. And they're doing researching and drafting memos on topics that somebody else has chosen for them. So once you get into practice, you can feel like you're controlled by the law itself. 
by your clients, and then by all of these professional regulations. But law school doesn't have to be a nightmare. And neither does your career afterwards. Know who you are and then make it your goal to be the best, insert your name here, that you can be. Then do what you can to reach that goal. It's going to be different for everyone, but I can tell you what has worked for me. My prescriptions for loving yourself through law school and forever. Before you come, do an internal audit and some serious soul searching like Dean Canada recommended. This does not mean that you have to know what you want to do with your degree. There's no way you can know that yet. You don't have to have any specific classes beforehand. Coming in as a blank slate, I think, is maybe the smartest thing. Each year, the legal field is changing, new jobs are being created, and old jobs aren't replacing the partners that are retiring. So come in with an open mind, ready to learn about those new opportunities that are out there. Figure out what you want to do by thinking about what drives you. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? It's not that simple. What it's do you want? Have you previously only thought about the amount of money you wanted to make, especially after taking out law school student loans? Go deeper than that. Why do you want money? Is it for comfort, for security, to have more options to do what you want? Lawyers are the least happy profession. I can only imagine that's because it comes down to finding out what drives you and linking it to your career. If relationships with people are the most important thing in the world to you, then you shouldn't be siloed in a windowless cave all day without client interaction. You'll be really unhappy. If safety is really important to you, you might really like prosecuting and feeling like you're making the world a safer place every day. What's most important to you at your core? Figure it out and then link it to your career. Make sure you can have some way in your head that what drives you is connected to your job in some way doesn't have to be direct. So now that you know what drives you, what makes you happy? What things can you always do that will improve your mood? I would always be stumped when people would say, just, what do you like to do for fun? Because I just thought, what a weird question. Obviously, I like to do, I like to hang out with my friends, I do all the normal things people like to do for fun. No, that is not good enough. Law school will take up so much brain space, even if you're loving and enjoying it. I mean, it's just a lot of new learning. That when you get to a spot where you realize, ooh, I'm on a downward spiral right now. I need to do something that's going to make me happier. Because this, when you're in a bad space and you're unhappy, you are not going to be learning as easily. And you definitely won't be retaining it. So you need to know better than you know anything else off the top of your head without using up any brain power. What can I do right now that'll always make me happy? List those things. And if it's hard for you to think of those like it was for me, think back on the happiest moments of the past year. They probably weren't about school or about work. What were they? When I look back on the things that I did over the past year, I went to, on vacations, I went to Monroe Beach, I had an amazing dinner at Finch's, I got massages and I took baths and I painted and I, and I spent a ton of time with my family and I remember laughing so hard that I got tears in my eyes. I love eating meat and cheese boards and spending the, all the time I want in the morning drinking my frappuccino and making myself beautiful and going to concerts and music festivals and brunch. Oh my god, I love brunch. And I had already been a volunteer for CASA but it can be kind of depressing, so I started doing some volunteer work at PALS in Bloomington. It's People and Animal Learning Services, and it has been so awesome getting to help out with the horses and help kids learn to ride horses. 
make out your list of things you always love to do and then do them. Do some of them every single day. Make them a priority. Okay, now that you have all the things you like to do, make sure you stay in touch with the people you like to do them with. Have a support system. Don't let law school or what law school does to you ruin your relationships with the people who you love spending time with. They can always bring you back down to the ground, remind you what's important, and give you something else to focus on. Talk to the people more frequently that would love you if you failed out. Your family, your friends, your spouse, whoever you have in your life, maintain those relationships. Make plans with those people and keep them. Keep them as just as important as your class time and your study time because it's an integral part of staying yourself through law school and it's also gonna make it a whole lot more fun. Outside of your family and friends that you already have, find additional support at the school. I really screwed this one up at first by being so close to just one person and not taking the time to get to know others at the law school. Months later, they were all best friends and had study groups and it's just a lot harder to break in at that point. If I didn't get cold called, there would be entire days when I wouldn't even speak. Don't do that to yourself. No wonder I felt isolated. I was isolating myself. And also, when it comes to the people you're in school with, be good to each other. The competition is largely imagined anyway because we don't all want the same job. And thank goodness, the person you think is your competition today for a grade that you shouldn't look at, so you shouldn't see them as competition, might be the person recommending you for a job tomorrow or telling you about one you hadn't heard of. Nothing good's gonna come out of breaking each other down because we all benefit from having a society of lawyers who are confident and competent. So now that you have an idea of what you want and you're not panicking about your grades, you're enjoying law school, you're making yourself happy every day, get excited about your future. Talk to people who are doing what you want to do. And if you don't know what you want, talk to even more people so you can help yourself figure it out and you can know what's out there. It's one of the hardest things with figuring out what you want to do in law is that the idea in your head of a practice area and then what they actually do. And even within one practice group, I know there were people who did totally different things and even really understand what each other did. So you have to go out there and ask questions. It's the only way you'll see what your life can really look like and what you definitely don't want. So explain your goals, talk to professors, talk to practitioners, soak it all in, ask for advice, but don't let anyone confine you to a set of rules and activities and GPAs. That's the way of old law, and you're going to be practicing in new law. negative when you tell them you have a slightly alternative career plan or even one that's, that's pretty typical ignore them yeah just ignore them the only reason for that negativity is if somehow you being excited about something different than what they're doing or they thought you were going to do is somehow shaking their own beliefs and they see that as a threat you know everybody needs someone to look up to why shouldn't it be us? That's their problem. Let them work it out. You just move on with the useful information that you've gathered. Keep filtering out the negative stuff and keep getting excited. Finally, it's okay if you have a bad day. Don't get mad at yourself. If you're at a point 
when there are things you just really don't want to do, don't do them. I know, it's shocking, especially to a lot of you perfectionists out there. If you really don't feel like doing it, don't do it. There's a reason. Wait till you're inspired to do it. Do something else. Take a nap. You're probably exhausted. And when you work when you're exhausted, you don't remember anything. You're driving to and from school very unsafely. You need your sleep if you're going to retain and be in any way useful. And you might be thinking, oh, if I just didn't do things I didn't want to do, I wouldn't ever get any work done. That's not true because you're in law school because you presumably enjoy learning a little bit more than most people. It's a privileged spot to be in to get to be there and and learn with other people. It doesn't feel good to go into class unprepared. So you won't wanna do that, but also don't force yourself to stick to some strict schedule. For some people, the best thing they might be able to do is look at law school as a job, nine to five, turn it off at five o'clock. For other people, maybe you need to be looser. You don't wanna set yourself on a schedule. Just do what's right for you. But if you don't wanna do it, don't make yourself. You're just going to add more unhappiness on top of it. Go do something you want to do instead. And don't overdo it. Sometimes three more hours of studying can have a negative impact if you should have been sleeping for two of them. Take a mental health day if you need to. Remember, the worst case scenario is failing a class. But if you show up and do the reading, you're not going to fail. And if you do find yourself never wanting to go to class and hating it when you're there and you think there's no way to be happy in law school, then quit. Just quit. Who cares? Everyone will respect you for figuring out what's right for you. You will find your spot. It does not have to be law school. You do not have to be a square peg in a round hole. Better to quit now than in 10 years when you really hate your life. Now, everyone's different, but these ideas have worked for me. And I'm almost finished with the first semester of my second year. I've only cried during sad movies. I don't spend more than one hour for every 30 pages of reading. I meditate every time I start to feel like there's too much on my plate. I didn't do journal or moot court because I didn't want to. I didn't let anybody tell me I had to because I don't. I'm not worried about taking all the bar classes because I don't think I'm gonna take the bar. I made my own schedule according to classes that I found most interesting, and I didn't even look at the average grade handed out in them. It doesn't matter. And finally, after that, I got the inspiration to finish the podcast because I realized it is people like me we need to hear from because all we usually hear are snarky comments on above the law of people who hated law school and wanna tell you why you will too. And the people who are considered the most successful through law school, and they're just asked how they did it and talk about grades, grades, grades. But here in the middle, I really do think most of it is your mindset. And luckily, that's exactly what you have full control over. If you're happy, school's not that bad. And you might think that this is just a bunch of fluffy, touchy-feely bullshit that I'm giving you. So, to argue on the alternative, the law's changing, and no law school can fully prepare us for it until we change law school culture, because the schools can only do so much to change it without our help. We're perpetuating the same old type of thinking, and we have to stop. So know who you are, know what you want, turn the negatives into positives. With a growth mindset and a law degree, you will be unstoppable. And don't let anyone tell you anything different. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. I slay. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. We are a very confusing generation. We're a mix of the everyone gets a trophy and also 
we witnessed a recession and saw a ton of people work really, really hard and not get anywhere. So we're less likely to buy into the three to six years of an unfulfilling but high paying job for a potential promotion to a partner with similar hours and only a little more control. We'd rather have a lot of control over our lives and maybe not make anywhere near as much money or maybe even don't see it as that much money. And it's all a matter of perspective. The kids over at the Kelly School of Business, if you told them they were limited to $190,000 for the next three years, they would probably say, uh, no, I'm not, I wouldn't take that. That's, I can make more than that. Why would you limit me to 190000 and tell me this is the amount of hours I have to work? I, I want to go make my own money and do things my own way. Maybe more of us should have that attitude too. We're also more likely to just bail if we're not happy and we're not working in a supportive environment. When you've been told you're a special snowflake your whole life and then the law tries to beat you into submission, I think the fall can be a lot harder. And if we don't do things to change the culture of law and start working toward the future, that those rates of depression are going to go higher instead of lower for our generation. But they can go way lower if we change law and make it work for us. And this is the optimal time to do that. We need to be more future-oriented. And through this experiment, I learned that that's what I want to do. I don't want to change. I walked into law school and when I read a case, I saw people and emotions. I never saw interesting legal questions. And I don't want to start seeing them. That's who I am. My driving force, I figured out, is helping people. Not in the way the justice system does. I've also learned that I love lawyers and law students, and that's who I want to help. I want to help them be able to help more clients because they're so reasonable and they're such good people. They just get very stressed out and would love for somebody to walk in and just fix a few of their top things that usually technology or a conversation or an additional staff member can do for them. If tech can get rid of a boring non-lawyer work that takes a bunch of lawyer time, Good, let tech do it and teach how tech can do it better. Law schools and firms, I think, have had a lot of trouble changing with the times because thinking like a lawyer isn't so great for the future. It only looks at the worst case scenario instead of really focusing on the best case scenario. You know, that purely speculative is a dirty phrase in law, but when we're looking into the future, we can't use precedent. We can't use past evidence to look at it. What we need is innovation and innovation always requires a lot of failing. So law schools are gonna have to try a lot of different methods and a lot of them probably aren't gonna work, but that's okay because if you aren't failing, you're probably not reaching high enough. If you're doing everything the same old way every year, that just means you're not growing. We can respect the rich and cool history of the law while still doing what every other industry has had to do and adapt to changing technology. The internet, artificial intelligence, according to Bostrom, AI probably isn't even going to pause when it gets to human intelligence rates. We gotta know how to deal with that. It's gonna jump right over us. Legal eagles are gonna be computers and they're gonna be pretty close to perfect. And every person with a smartphone is soon gonna be able to ask an app a legal question and get a full brief that's better than what most law firms would be able to provide at zero cost. Things are changing, but that's awesome. We can outsource the stuff we don't like doing to robots, AI, legal outsourcing, automation, contract managers, and we can do the stuff that we really want to do, the exciting legal stuff. I think it's 80 to 90% of people are pro se. That means 
there's a whole lot more legal work out there to do, and legal tech can help us. There's no real recipe to success. Just be yourself and carve out your own path. So you can love yourself through law school, then you can love everyone else, and finally, you can love the law. Thank you so much for listening to this season of Law School Revealed. And thanks for listening to the soundtrack of my 1L year. I'd like to say a special thank you to James Boyd for being so cool and not putting me on any timeline or ever giving me additional stress about the podcast. Thank you to my parents for always reminding me to let everything go that doesn't feel right and just unapologetically be myself. And also thank you to Mauer School of Law for believing in me and never censoring me. They've been there for me. I hope I can be here for you. Stay tuned for next season on new law, legal innovation, and disruption. Get excited about the future of law with me. Until next season, stay revealing. But more importantly, stay yourself. <laughs>